before men. Why? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Please be seated. Just a few moments ago, we had some gentlemen uh, go up the aisles with some welcome packets. If, if you were able to get one of those, uh, inside there is an attendance card. If you'll uh, pass that to the aisles at this time, we'll pick those up. We'd like to have a record of your attendance. And we are grateful that you are here with us this morning. This particular month of the year... has a very special uh, meaning for us as we live in the United States. This year marks the 20th anniversary of the incident, the tragedy that happened on American soil on uh, September the 11th. Uh, th that was an interesting day, I guess, for us all as we tune in to see what is going on, and uh, I don't know if before that day I ever really concerned myself outside of baseball of what happened in New York City, but at this, on this day, all eyes were glued to what was going on in that city. Now, before about 8.30 a.m., as you and I look at the Twin Towers there in New York. They look much like the picture on my left here. Uh, they're, they're there. They're taller than everything. That's part of the skyline. That's what we, we notice. That's what we think of. And if you look up online on Google and, and Google the idea of September the 11th and the, the Trade Center, uh, one of the first pictures you get are these gentlemen here running away from a cloud of smoke that day, from a cloud of debris that day. You know, a lot of us in America saw that particular day a lot of different ways. There were some, as the man on the right, who saw that firsthand. He would look across there and see those towers uh, smoking and falling and uh, wonder what is going on and how those things are going to play out. There were some of our American uh, brothers and sisters who saw uh, this particular tragedy as the picture on the left from the inside. They were going up stairwells to save lives, if that be possible. I myself saw it um, on television. You know, we, we think about that day, and we think about 20 years passing, and we think about the tragedy that was, and the lessons that could have or should have been learned. And the lessons that could have or should have been learned, God's been trying to tell us for, for generations. As a matter of fact, this particular... Uh-oh, wrong button. This particular sermon has taken me, I guess, 20 years uh, to actually think fully out. It will not take us that long to preach it. It will only take us that long to think about it. Here's some lessons that I learned 20 years ago that God's been trying to tell me and you ever since 
and I hope we'll learn it and not let it sort of fall by the wayside. One, life is precious. All life. Life in the United States has uh, taken a turn from something that would be holy before God and given to us by God to something that may now not even be known as factual until a certain point. What a sad state of affairs. We have, we've lost and, and forgotten the idea that, the, that life, all life, is given by God and is precious. I was reading an article this week, and a man who is not a member of the church but seems to be somewhat religious wrote this, the most hunted creature in the United States is the unborn child. Huh. It would be God in Genesis chapter 1, as he is creating all of those things, as he begins, he, he begins and creates time first in the beginning. And then he goes on from there and he creates days and he creates uh, worlds and he creates uh, land and sea and he creates people. And he says about people, let us make man in, in our image and, and after our likeness. And he's not dealing with the, the facial structure of people and not dealing with the, the skin tone of people. He's not dealing with even the internal mechanics of people. What he's dealing with is that portion of you and me that doesn't die. That portion of you and me that will stand before him in judgment on that final day to give an account for the things done in our lives. Speaking about that soul. That part of us that that doesn't go away. You know, you find in Genesis chapter 1, a very interesting idea when, he begins, when God begins to speak about how life is given to mankind and he breathed into him the breath of life. You know, that's the only time that's used in creation. And it's one of two or three times it's only ever used within the, uh, the functionality of the entire Bible. One other time it was used in, a cle in, in uh, Ezekiel when those dry bones came together and all the flesh came on. And then, then you know what you had while you had all these dry bones with flesh all over them? You know what you had? You had corpses until God breathed in them the breath of life. We read about that God breathing about His Word He breathed into man, and man became a living soul. Life's precious. Not only those 3,000 or so that were in those buildings, but all life is precious. And it's precious due to the one who gives that life. Sometimes we overlook the source of that life, looking at the, the phenomenal nature of life. But lesson number one from those towers that God's been trying to teach us all these years is life is precious. And notice this. Lesson two from those towers that God's been trying to teach us for years. Time is fleeting. It's ever, ever running in front of us. You know, I graduated high school 28 years ago. That seems like a long time. I don't, 
28 years seems like a long time. I don't think I was. Yeah, 28 years ago. In my mind, it doesn't seem that long. In your mind, it doesn't seem that long either, does it? We, we forget to look at the moments in our life as being pivotal. We often look at those days as being mundane. It was, I think it was my grandmother when uh, Brandy and I were, were having our first, where she would say that the days are long and the years are short. I didn't have any idea what she's talking about. I know now. I understand completely now that the days are long, the years are short. How many opportunities have gone by me because I've been worrying about the long days or the mundane days or the thing that has to happen next in my mind. What I do is I allow, and you possibly allow, the, narrow, the narrow-mindedness of what's going on now to skew my vision of what's supposed to be going on now. I allow it to decide that I'm going to just do this or that or another thing and, and forget about this because I have that going on when this is so much more important than that. It'd be Ephesians chapter 5 verse 16 where Paul, through the inspiration of God, would write, redeem the time. Redeem the time. Make the most of that. Those Americans going to work that day Perhaps stopping and getting themselves a cup of coffee, uh, ready to go into work. They've got everything just like it is any other day. Do you think by 8.30 or 9 o'clock they'd want to redeem the time differently? Because time is fleeting. It's ever in front of us when we fail to look at eternity, all we're doing is chasing time. Notice lesson number three from those towers that I should have learned that I guess I haven't yet. In this world, love is what is needed. You can ask everybody what they want, a hundred people from a hundred different cities, and you'd probably get a hundred different answers. But if you were to boil them down to exactly what it was, they would want something that would try to fill up a hole that's inside of them. The book of Ecclesiastes is written, the whole book is written where Saul would write, I tried this, I tried that, I tried this other to put it into this hole and fill all these things up. And maybe I didn't feel as empty, but you know what? I felt empty. It didn't fill the hole the right way. Everyone's looking for something to fill that hole. And what's going to fill that hole is L-O-V-E. The world's starving for love. And with God being loved, then they're starving for God's love. It would be God who would write about, uh, about himself and the love that he has toward us in John chapter 3 and verse number 16, where he would write this, For God so loved the world that, that he gave his only begotten Son. And in verse number 17, we'll read that that Son was not sent to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 
That love of God is seen through the, the culmination of the plan of salvation, the sending of the Son for salvation, the writing of that plan down so that you and I generations later will have that plan of salvation so that we can obey it. If you couple John chapter 3 and verse 16 with 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 16, what you're going to read is this, For God so loved the world, and then in 1 John 3 and verse 16 you'll read, And you should do the same thing. What an interesting idea. So God loved this world so much that he gave everything that they needed, and you should do the same thing. You as a Christian, I as a Christian should do the exact same thing. We should be looking for places to distribute that love and show our love toward others as we can. Love's a needed thing. In a world that's full of hatefulness. In a world that's full of despair. In a world that's full of doubt and dismay. Here's some lessons from those towers that God's been trying to teach us for years. Number four, faith, real faith, is powerful. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, Paul begins a letter there, and he begins to talk to Timothy. And in verse 5, he says, And I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that was first in thy mother Lois, and then, or in, my, in thy grandmother Lois, and in thy mother Eunice, and I am assured that's in you also. As he's talking about this young boy who he calls his son in the face, faith, he's talking about this thing called unfeigned faith. That's a weird word. Anybody here this week use unfeigned or feigned in their uh, just everyday speech? No, me either. Use the word fake. You know what fake is? When I call to remembrance the pure faith that is in you, that is not fake. Feign versus unfeigned is fake versus pure. You want to know how this works out for us in our everyday life? Stay up this evening, gentlemen, till about 11.30 or 12. Start surfing through those channels a little bit. And you're going to come across a guy who is selling a diamondoid ring for $14.95. Go ahead, buy one. Present that to her. See how good you have it. <laughs> that, that false sense of, of jewelry is a, a small idea of this fake versus pure faith that's mentioned. Real faith builds real power, and that real faith is found in Christ Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. We sing a VBS song about it, don't you know it? The wise man built his house upon the rock. What happened to that house? Well, those winds came and those storms came and blew against the house, and that house stood firm. And you go to verse number 2, and you see that, that foolish man built his house on the sand. What happened to that? Those same winds and those same storms came and beat upon the same kind of house, and because the foundation was different, Jesus would say, great was the fall of it. You know, there's a third verse of that song. The third verse of that song 
uh, in our KFC class. He goes, so build your house on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not talking about houses. He's talking about life. A life built on the faith of Jesus the Christ is a life that is built up and it doesn't destroy. See, real faith has the opportunity to give man enough understanding to look at the man on the cross. Seeing that man on the cross builds more faith, which gives me more opportunity to look at that man on the cross, which continues to build my faith. Real faith is powerful. Do you remember that day 20 years ago? It was a Tuesday. All those things happened on a Tuesday. The congregation that Brandy and I were attending at the time met like every other congregation, I guess, in the southeast on Wednesday evening. And it was a, a, the, the building is shaped like a hall, and it holds, I don't know, about 400 or so. And it was standing room only. We could take a trip down there Wednesday night, and what we'd notice is all those who were standing around. Faith's not real? Does that mean God's not real in what He says? Does that mean life's still not precious, or love is what's needed, or time is fleeting? No, that's not exactly what it means. It means some faith there even that evening was based off of fear. It was not the unfeigned faith that found, was found in Timothy. Notice verse number 5. Our, uh, lesson number 5, I should have learned from those towers that took me 20 years to learn. Hope is strong. Hope is the anchor of our souls. Micah Chapter 7 and verse 7, Micah says, I'm going to wait on the Lord. In Psalm 119 and verse number 114, uh, the psalmist writes there that my hope is the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13, what we read there is there are three things that God would prescribe. Faith, hope, and charity. Interestingly enough, we mentioned all three of those in this particular sermon. We, we commonly... Misuse the word hope. We, we, we exchange it out for the word wish. So Stuart back there says, when, when I shake hands with Billy back here, I, I hope he gives me a million dollars. That's a wish that will not come true. <laughs> One, I don't have it to give. That's probably the, the main one. Hope is not only following after what God says, but it's an expectation to receive. It's that God is faithful in what he's going to do, and if I follow him the way he says, then that hope is applied to me. Notice how it's mentioned in Matthew chapter 16 and verse, uh, really verse number 16, but we're going to back up a little bit. So it is... Peter, who says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replies by saying, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. In verse number 18, he begins by saying, Thou art Peter, and upon this 
rock I will build my church. What rock? Peter? No, not Peter. You see, the word Peter, the name Peter, and the word rock are from the same root word. And really, it's a play on words here by Christ. The, the word for Peter is small rocks, tiny aggregate like you and I would find in cement, not concrete cement. Small, little bitty things like sand. The other word, rock, is a, a, a cliff face, bedrock. This is not Peter, this small little bitty aggregates of rock that, that will be the bedrock of the child of God. But it's rather the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if he is that Christ, and he is, when he offers me salvation, and when he offers me hope, what do I expect? Hope is strong. Is as strong as God Himself. There is a movie called The Shawshank Redemption. First was a book written by Stephen King. This, in this particular book, there is a man who is uh, innocent, interestingly enough, in prison for life. He's innocent of, of what charges he had. And uh, at one point, they tell him to abandon hope. They say, hope will get you in trouble in here. And he said, hope's the only thing I have. What an idea. Hope is so strong that we can see a man just clinging to it in, in the state of prison all his life. Can't see the Christian holding on to the hope of God. Life is precious. Time is fleeting. Love is needed. Real hope is powerful. Or real faith is powerful. Hope is strong. Those are at least five lessons I should have learned 20 years ago that God's been trying to teach me for years. Let me give you one more. God is truthful. It would be God who would warn us as humanity of our insufficiency to choose correctly. And he's right. It would be God who would warn humanity that a flood is coming and he was right. It would be God who would warn us right. It would be God who would warn that the church is coming for the salvation of man and he was right. You know, with the exception of the return of Jesus the Christ to this earth, with that exception, everything God has ever told us within His Bible has come to pass. And in the proper time, the return of Jesus will too. It will be God in His truth and His love who would tell me, today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow may be too late. 
It would be God who would say, listen to what I have to say and obey those things. Uh, John chapter 8 and verse number 24. It would be God who would say, repent of your sin, Luke 13, 3 and 5. It would be God who would say, confess my the Christ, Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. It would be God who would say in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, be baptized for the remission of sins, be raised to walk in a newness of life. And it would be God who would say, and you're probably going to fall. You're probably going to falter sometime. So I'm going to make a way to, for you to be able to come back to me. I'm going to make a way for you to be able to be restored to the, pra- the place where you should be. The place where I've sent my son to die so that you can be. Listen to the God of truth this morning. Have you, have you put on Christ in baptism? The answer is no. Why not? Everything's ready. We can, we can allow you to be adopted by the, the, the God of all creation into his family in mere minutes. Wonderful day. That would be for us and for you. If you have done those things. Is he still looking for you on top of that roof? Still looking down toward where that little boy was in that hog pen, only to run out and have compassion on him and kiss him on his neck and restore him back to his son. Do you need to be restored by the Father? If you do, come home right now while we stand and while we sing for your encouragement.